0: Welcome to Regenerative Farmers of America podcast. Hello guys and welcome. I am so excited to be joined by Colleen today and I'm going to let her take it away and explain it better than I can. She does so many amazing things on her farm. Tell us a little bit about all the different things you have going on and kind of how you got started on such a crazy road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Colleen. Um, I'm at the Frenchie Farm. We're a little uh, family owned regenerative farm outside of Chicago We're about 45 minutes outside of the city. Um, My background is in child and adolescent therapy. And once I started having kids, I kind of moved away from seeing clients. And I started offering classes on our farm. So we offer farm classes for kids. Um, During the warmer months, we have over 100 kids here a week, um, which is super fun. and um we like to be able to encourage kids to um and have kids in the background too (laughs) we like to encourage kids to um to get excited about where their food comes from and in a developmentally appropriate way and so our classes are really geared towards having kids be able to collect their own eggs and be able to plant and harvest their own veggies and be able to learn a little bit about you know, why we're rotating pastures, why why our pasture started here and now it's over here and you know, what kind of animals are eating that pasture and why and things like that. And so it's a super fun um, program that we offer here.
0: That's awesome. I, I love that, you know, it's so good to get children started early, right? Like get them started Absolutely. before and get them on the ground. So tell yeah, me a little bit about too. what brought you there. Like,
1: yeah. So my husband and I originally started on just a little over an acre. Um, so we are just about five minutes away on a little over an acre and we got a couple of chickens and a couple of goats. And I feel like chickens are just like the gateway drug into farming. Um, those couple of chickens turned into a lot more chickens. They turned into like 20 or so chickens and those two goats turned into seven goats. And we quickly realized at the time, if we are going to stay where we are at, we needed to start figuring out how we could effectively manage such a small acreage and be able to keep healthy livestock, which is kind of what brought us more to a regenerative approach on how can we keep this many goats but not have issues with parasites and things like that. And so we started rotating and things like that. We quickly then realized that we wanted more. So we found another farm and we're just on about eight and a half acres. So we're still a super small farm, Um, but now those seven goats have turned into, oh geez. I don't know. We had 11 babies this year. We have three boys, five does, probably like 50 or so chickens right now. I'm not sure, you know, 20 ducks or so, a couple of cattle, some livestock guardian dogs. We still need to be able to effectively manage a lot of livestock on a pretty small acreage, Um, which again, then brought us to more of a regenerative approach.
0: I love that. So, the first question I'm going to ask you is How do you manage small children in a scenario that obviously could be quite dangerous? Cattle uh, have, you know, different tendencies. How did you kind of find a way to do this safely?
1: Yeah. So, our cattle, Harry and Larry, they're not. they're they're definitely skittish. When we got them, they're super skittish. We have two highland cattle and, um, with our kids, we keep them behind the fence. Um, so they'll come up to the fence and they'll be able to feed out of their hands and things like that. And we do that during our classes and they're very gentle like that. Um, but we don't have kids go into the pasture with them. That would be a super dangerous approach. That's for sure. With all of our other animals though, um, we really just don't really tolerate any animals that don't, um, That aren't gentle, to be honest. They're so used to being around kids that all of our chickens are used to just being held and our goats are used to just eating out of kids' hands and they get excited for it. They know that the kids are coming and they immediately come to the fence and they're excited for kids to jump into the pasture. And they know that that means that it's time for lots of food. Um, So it's been a lot of training and most animals are pretty easy for training. Like they like that routine. They like to know what's coming. And so being able to keep it safe with kids has been a pretty, um, a pretty easy thing, mostly because I'm the only one also that that runs my classes, I don't ever let anybody else. Um, So if I'm bringing kids into the pasture, I'm the only one doing it, I would never let an outside person do it. Because now all of a sudden, there's going to be a lot of safety things that people aren't going to pick up on.
0: Do you have any tips for people with the goat climbing children? I feel like that's like their worst behavior, right?
1: (laughs) No, I do have one goat, um, Martha. She likes to climb. She likes to jump. She gets very excited. And so the biggest thing with kids is that I always prompt them right away that when we do snacks, we always keep it really nice and low. Um, So when you keep your snacks really nice and low, now the goat isn't going to climb. That's the biggest thing, keeping your hands super low. And then the goat is just going to eat right out of your hands.
0: That's a really good tip. <laughs> Everybody should probably do that, like in general. Yeah, that's no like <laughs> I
1: feel like, like a broken record. I'm always like keep them low, keep them low, keep them low, because the second you're gonna have them up by your chest, now you have a goat by your chest, and when you're a little three year old, that can feel really, really overwhelming. Um, so, I, oftentimes, if I'm pouring, you know, some alfalfa pellets or something like that into their hands, I'm I'm prompting their hands down. Um, because a three-year-old isn't going to remember. And so prompting them down to make sure that they're low to the ground is something that's helpful.
0: I love that. So take me through kids are new to the farm. Let's say fresh from <laughs> Chicago, city kids, they've never seen yep. a goat before in their life. What are kind of some of the first intro activities that you find are so important to kids and connected? Like what are the ones you recommend if you go to a farm like this is probably a good place to be? Yeah.
1: So (laughs) a lot of times I actually have had like one family with a goat phobia. I've had some families with chicken phobias. Um, And a lot of times that first class kids are so overwhelmed. It's a lot to take in because we're visiting the different pastures and we're, we don't stay other than feeding our cattle. We don't stay behind the fence. We get in. And we're, we're very hands-on. We're in the, chick, you know, in the nesting boxes, collecting eggs and things like that. And so I, with those kids that are feeling anxious, I always give them a little bit of extra attention. Um, I also will like to move food away from those kids, because if you have 50 chickens swarm you and you're feeling anxious about chickens, now all of a sudden that chicken phobia is like really heightened. Um, so those, those little ones that are feeling a little bit nervous, I'll make sure that I'm, you know, doing snacks on this side and these kids can go over here. I like to have also benches attached to my chicken coop, um, so that kids, especially if they're feeling nervous, can sit down and then I'll prompt all the food on the other side so that they're able to like watch and be able to be involved in that way, um, without needing to be totally in it. that being said our classes are six weeks long so that first week there's so many kids that are feeling so anxious and then by week six nobody wants my help everybody's just like over there picking up chickens you know doing all of the things and i'm like can i help you no i don't want your help i want to do it and so it's that also that routine i like to structure my classes so that it's very routine that you know we know that at the beginning of our class we start with a story and we check in on about all the things that we're going to do and then usually we'll do like some sort of planting or harvesting component, and then we'll move into the pasture. And so being able to have a a consistency and something to a predictability of knowing what to expect helps those kids that are feeling a little anxious too.
0: So would you kind of say that's the two pillars is, you know, letting them adjust at their own schedule and yeah. the consistency. Would you say that's the,
1: yeah. And then also, you know, moving really slowly. So, you know, some kid may not feel comfortable holding a chicken right away, but what if we like pet with one finger or what if we just like look with our eyes and talk about like the color of their feathers And things like that. And then we just ease into it. And if we got that one finger well, what if we do like one little pat, like down the back and, or what if I help you hold? And we kind of like ease into those small baby steps to a point where they they're feeling really comfortable and confident with their progress. And then all of a sudden they feel comfortable moving to that next step too.
0: And would you say the chickens are kind of the best gateway to tangibles, or
1: kind of what do kids gravitate towards first, first? I think chickens the most. Chick- okay. Kids love chickens. I mean, chickens and goats. Um, baby goats are obvious. Everyone loves baby goats. And nobody I mean, can say no
0: yeah, to a baby yeah, goat. So
1: they're so much fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, chickens are always fun. Yeah. And then a lot of times we'll have baby chicks. So then we'll talk about all of the different you know, components of brooding baby chicks and what we need to do to make sure that they're healthy and safe. And, and you know, at what point are we gonna move them back out to the coop? If we moved a baby chick out to a coop right now, what would happen? And so we like interweave a lot of those discussions about just farming um, in a way that feels natural and they're learning a lot, they're absorbing a lot of information but it doesn't feel like we're just like sitting and talking. So it's all very developmentally appropriate and hands-on. Yeah.
0: Do you ever kind of get in the tough spot of well if we take the chickens outside they will die and then the conversation moves to death how do you handle yeah, that you know and
1: i even had a class um you know every now and then you get baby chicks someone doesn't make it right like every that just doesn't happen often but sometimes that happens and so especially with my older kids i've had situations where we would go and visit the brooder box and we would check on the chicks and would be there was one that wasn't going to make it. And they knew this baby chick wasn't going to make it. And so it was a conversation on how do we broach this topic in a way that it feels sad and it's okay to feel sad. But we also talk about like, well, what are some of the things that we can do? What are what's everything we can do to give this little chick the best option and you know the best chance of being able to survive? But she might not. And like that's okay. And we can feel sad. And you, you know, my kids actually ended up really. Absorbing that, okay. And even my kids, you know, I have a four, six, and nine month old, and obviously death happens. Like we had a stillborn this year with one of our mamas had quads and one was still. And so that was something that was such a hard thing for my kids because we've never had that happen. And they're out, they're out with us as we're delivering baby goats. And that was like, well, what, what, like, why isn't he moving? You know, what's going on? Is he going to be okay? And so in that situation, it was, such a hard conversation, but then they were able to go bury that, bury that little baby and also plant a tree in its memory. And so doing those type of things to try to make it in a, in a way that's positive And we always do what we can, but sometimes things don't work out and that's hard, um, but it's also a learning experience too.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like that's why a lot of people shy away from engaging children in it because mm-hmm. those conversations inevitably come really. up like- where does the piggy go at the end of the day? Where does the cow go? And that's tough, right?
1: (laughs) And I mean, especially when we have meat birds, like, you know, when you have little ones, it's so hard to be able to differentiate, like, wait, so these chickens give me eggs, but these chickens I'm going to eat. And so like, how do I make sense of that when I'm four, you know, like, that's a big thing for you to wrap your mind around. And I mean, even last year, we had some losses with our meat birds that then ended up really complicating it because my kids found them um we had you know some sort of hawk attack we didn't realize it and they found them out in the pasture and so then there was this question of like wait but these birds I was going to eat but it wasn't time for me to eat them yet and now they're gone and I see them gone like what does that mean and like those, those are really hard conversations for anybody and especially when you're four or five years old, like how do you make sense of that in your head. And it's, it's something that I feel like even as a parent, you have to, you're kind of learning as you go too. cause you're like, how do I have this conversation? Like, this is a, this is kind of like a deep one, you know? Um, but I feel like those learning experiences are so important for kids too, you know, and being able to know where your food comes from. Like, it's not, you just don't just go to the grocery store and pick up I mean, of course you can, you can go to the grocery store and pick up, you know, that food and, you know, that meat, but like that meat was also an animal and an animal that we need to treat with respect while, while we have it. And that's why we raise it ourselves. Um, hard, hard topics for little ones though. That's for sure.
0: Well, and, and hard topics for adults too, right? Absolutely. Like, you know, it, it's yeah. not that all of us have become so well adjusted in our later
1: years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I was vegan before for a long time. And so When I decided that we weren't that I wasn't gonna be vegan, I wanted to make that choice that if if I'm gonna eat meat, then we need to raise it ourselves. Like I need to have a stake in it, and you know that I feel like is such a hard. You know, at times like I struggle still because like being in that in that mindset and then starting to like you know raise your own animals and needing to raise them and then say goodbye is something that's hard. But also I think so important because if we're just like, you know, buying it at the grocery store, like you don't have to feel any of those things. You can just pretend it wasn't an animal, you know, and same with our kids. So would you say there's a
0: good age to discuss that topic? Or would you say just at any point it's, you know, time
1: to get in brains? (laughs) Honestly, we like jump right in. Um, yeah, I feel like the good age is whenever it happens naturally, um you know so like when those experiences just happen you know when you have a loss you talk about that loss and when when we get meat birds we talk about how like these birds are going to feed our family and we're going to be really grateful for that and those type of things um so we don't really have an age we just do it I think that's Uh, really
0: good though because you know I I feel like even uh we we do agritourism as well and sometimes adults come mm -hmm. to the farm and they've never had that conversation it could be 30, 40 years old and they still have not experienced that. So totally. whenever the time is right.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I know that there'll be families that visit our farm and some of them may not like that some of our animals become meat and that uh, it just kind of, is what it, you know, it is what it is. You know, right. um, I know that there are some people that, you know, won't come to our farm knowing that we you know, produce our own meat and dairy and things like that, and it's like that—that's fine, that's your choice. But then I hope that you're not buying it from the grocery store. Like, let's let's like stay consistent here. You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. We we've gone through similar things. That we've had uh, vegan people come, and I try not to dissuade them. Right? Like, it's okay mm-hmm. to be vegan. There's also sure. tons of like options in the vegan world that support regenerative that too. Yeah. So all those conversations absolutely. just keep absolutely. you open up.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: So. Um, Tell me a little bit about like what you would recommend if people don't have access to a farm locally, but they're excited to bring kids to it. What would you say are kind of ways that people can get involved if they can't get boots on
1: the ground? You know, I've even had a lot of families that have done like hatching at home. Um, That's been something that they really enjoyed is being able to hatch baby chicks at home. They have that whole experience of being able to learn about caring for baby chicks and brooding them and everything. And then oftentimes the farm that they you know, got the chicks from or the eggs from, we'll take them back. And so that's one fun way of just bringing it back into your house. Um, planting, like you can plant anything. So, like, that's just like an easy way of being able to let kids get dirty and excited about where their food comes from. I've had so many kids that come here that literally have never touched a vegetable. And then all of a sudden, they grew it themselves and they think it's delicious or they harvested it themselves. And they're like, Oh, this is so great. And their bag of veggies doesn't even make it home because they're eating it on the way home. Um, So I think, finding ways of being able just to do it do whatever you can with where you're at and the options for that whether it's microgreens or get some pots and do some herbs or being able to hatch some chicks and a lot of cities even allow you to have chickens you know you can have up to like six or something you know in our town you're able to have some um so being able to look into what those regulations are and your options might be more than what you think they are yeah. If you have to give
0: like three vegetables for people to start easy style, what's your your gateway vegetable drugs?
1: (laughs) Microgreens, especially for my classes because you're able to harvest so quickly. And so like my classes are six weeks. And so if we plant on week one, um, then we're able to harvest by week two or three and we can get a couple of harvests out of those. So I think microgreens are super fun and there's some really good mild ones. We like like a sprouted pea microgreen. Those are good, kids usually like those. We really like like an arugula, but some of the kids don't totally love the bite of an arugula, Um, but we still do them anyways, because they're fun. Um, Let's see, we've done, we do like a lot of herbs in my classes too. And those are fun because we were able to like paint pots and plant herbs and then they bring them home and they're able to grow them themselves. And then they get excited about, you know, how big their herbs are getting Um, and tomatoes. Tomatoes are a good one. Everyone loves tomatoes. Those are such a fun one for little ones to harvest too, because it's so easy just to be able to grab. Zucchinis, we do a lot of those. Those are super fun for harvesting also and pretty hard to mess up. Um, yeah.
0: Oh, there's some good ones. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of surprised about the herbs because I would feel like there might be a little disconnect, but I'm sure like as kids sees the parent adding it to the dish yeah. at the end of the day, that makes totally. sense. Totally. They good do.
1: Good. And I've had some who've done like, you know, basil and things like that. And I've had like people take pictures and their basil plant is like gigantic and they're so excited and they're posing with their basil plant and naming their basil plant.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, <That's awesome>.
1: <laughs> excited about being able to grow anything of themselves. Yeah.
0: What is your trick for bringing parents into this? So, obviously, the parents are invested enough to bring their children. Do they sure.
1: stay? Do they leave? Sure. Like, what happens there? So we, I would say, oh gosh, about 75% of the parents stay, uh, not because they have to. So, if they're really young, they have to stay, um, just because, it, you know, if you're three years old, you need a little bit of extra support. Um, but for those older kids, you don't have to have a parent stay. And most of the parents decide to stay because they want to learn about it and they want to experience everything. And so a lot of the times as the class is really for the kids, it ends up being for the parents. And we've had so many requests for an adult class. Um, and that for me, like I'm just so used to teaching kids that I'm like, how do I teach an adult class? Like, what exactly do I include for that? And um, so really, like, I feel like if parents are signing their kids up, they have some sort of interest in it as well. And they want to be a part of it and they want to see how excited their kid is. They want to take pictures and videos and like their kids are so proud, of, you know, of like, look at the eggs that I collected from the coop and look at this color. This is so cool. And like, what are we going to make with this when we go home that their parents want to experience that alongside their kids? That's awesome.
0: hmm So let's focus a little bit business. There's a lot of farmers that watch this and they think about like, well, if I add classes, I add these things. Can you tell me a little bit like about how this has influenced the business? Like obviously you're still milking goats and providing Mm -hmm. food. So how is this incorporated in the business financially?
1: Yeah. So our classes are our primary source of income on our farm. Um, Our classes and our programs that we run here. And so, you know, the veggies and things like that. That's kind of an add-on, like, you know, we'll sell some things, um, but that's not our focus, isn't really sales of, um, of items because, you know, the veggies, the eggs, things like that, that's like a part of our classes. And so I always like to send kids home um, with things. And so whether that's like a big bag of all the veggies they harvested or their egg carton filled with eggs and, you know, chicken eggs or duck eggs or whatever it happens to be for that day, so we use so many of those, ma- not materials, but so many of those items in our classes that we don't even have that much left over at the end. Cause when we have over a hundred kids here a week, and we're only again on eight and a half acres with just my husband and myself doing it all, we don't have you know much left other than just for our family. So from a financial standpoint, our classes are the primary source of income and that covers everything um, on our farm. So it's, it's, a a very, very um, helpful um, aspect of our income for sure. Um, So whether it's like, you know, farm expenses and, you know, any sort of feed or improvements or maintenance or anything, that all comes specifically from our classes.
0: And time commitment. I am sure this could very easily become all day, every day. Tell me a little bit about like how much time it is and how you found a way to manage a lifestyle outside of that.
1: (laughs) Sure. I feel like I'm still working on that a little bit, to be honest. Um, The thing is, is that because our, you know, the farm has become, you know, my classes have become my job, but I bring my kids to my job um, that it all kind of melds together. Um, I don't know if that's the best balance always. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, I, I don't feel like there's a, a good, a good, a good, like end time because my kids are always with me. So like when I teach classes, my kids come with me and it doesn't feel like I'm just working, um, even though I am because, you know, then they have their friends in classes and then we have like little playdates after with all the families that came and, um, So yeah, from like a time perspective, my classes are 45 minutes. So I usually will, you know, head out about, you know, 30 minutes before classes. I'll do two or three classes at a time and then clean up is a good 30 minutes after. So it's a good couple hours a day. Um, But that's not then obviously taking into consideration all of the other planning and admin things that come along with it, which isn't quite as much fun.
0: And if you're doing six weeks, are you doing weekends or weekdays?
1: Weekdays, yep. So I have like a pretty strict, no weekends other than we'll do some weekend workshops here and there. So we'll do like raising baby chick workshops, um, things like that. We'll sometimes do like a weekend workshop, but those are few and far between. Generally, I'm just Monday through Friday because at some point, like we need time on the farm too, to be able to do all of the things. And if, if now our weekends are filled with classes too, it's just too much. Um, and also we just need the time as a family, you know, yeah. without needing to always be on for working. Um, so we keep those open for the most part. That's kind of work-life
0: balance there. There really isn't yeah. such a thing on the farm, right? So like, I know.
1: I, like, <laughs> oh. I mean, like to put it in perspective, I had my teachers here this morning for a meeting, um, cause we start a new program next week and I, my, my baby was up until two 30 in the morning. So he did just, you know, was not sleeping and I was planning on doing all the chores in the morning. And then I realized that my husband had PT early in the morning. So it's like, okay, like I can't do it before he leaves, So I have a baby on my back. I'm milking goats and we have a meeting going at the same time. So, and my kids are just playing in the background. And so like, that's kind of my balance. <laughs> we just kind of mix it all together. And you know, that that's kind of the, the benefit of it being, um, on your farm, you know, like you can make those choices and you can have a baby on your back milking and also have a meeting at the same time. That's okay. Like yeah, it worked yeah. out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> a little chaos, but you know, is what it is.
0: Well, and I think that's kind of why people love you as a person because it's bringing that authentic self. This is, you know, the, the semi chaos that is life. And I think it's because it feels very real. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, is such an alert to your, your platform and the things you've created. Yeah. Oh, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I just, I think there's so much like stress about like being a perfect farm and we don't talk about death and we don't like, we clean up the dead bodies before the children come and you just have such a very like open, the baby's on the back, like get it done.
1: Yeah. I feel like all like the perfection's just not helpful because it's just not what it is. Like, it's just, it's really not what it is. And so I feel like being able to you know, kind of take some of that pressure off, not only of just myself, because like I can't create this perfect farm every day when people come, like that would be insane. But instead, like, hey, can you help me pick some weeds? Because like my garden is insane. Like, you know, so like kids come and I would love to have this like perfect garden with everything trellised and beautiful. That didn't happen this year. But like a messy garden still produces really yummy food. And so we talk about that, that like, you know, sometimes things just you lose you run out of time and it is what it is and like this is not the most perfect scenario but that's okay because your harvest bag is still full like it didn't change anything you know it doesn't have to be perfect and I think those are good lessons my daughter tells me all the time she's six and she'll be like mommy it doesn't have to be perfect I'm like oh that's really sweet I'm glad that like that has resonated with our kids too
0: I think that's such an important lesson. There are so many kids that are just stymied by perfection and timing and all these different right. agendas that parents have put on them. So I feel like you're offering such a good environment that, again, the adults kind of yeah. need that too, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good reminder for all of us for sure.
0: I love that. So, what kind of would be your advice to a fellow farmer who might want to get started teaching classes? What's your kind of 101
1: for them? Yeah, I, I think connect with your community. So, you know, for us, social media was big, um, being able to connect with people in your community on social media. Um, and I think being able to kind of narrow in on what can you offer you know, what livestock do you have and what can you offer with what you're already doing? What was nice with our farm is that honestly, like we're literally just sharing what we're doing. Um, so it's not like we needed to have all of this, like crazy infrastructure in place or anything it's literally like this is what we're already doing we're already raising these chickens like why don't you come on and I'll show you what we're doing like and you can you know feed them and hold them and learn about all those things we already have these goats we're already breeding them so let's learn about like milking goats and like learn about you know how do we keep our mamas and babies healthy and everything like that and so I think using what you have instead of going like super crazy with trying to add all these things in because um, you probably have a lot more to offer than you realize. You know, I I remember when I kind of had the idea of classes. My first thought was like, I don't know, is anyone going to like like this? Like, is anyone really interested in this stuff? And then people were super excited about just the idea of being able to be outside and learn about these things that they don't have access to in a city. Like, they they don't have access to chickens or goats or being able to grow a big garden or cattle or any of those things. And so using what you have without going too crazy about adding things in because I think then that's when it gets overwhelming. That's really good advice.
0: Uh, and last thought is how far do people travel for something like this? So are, you're, everybody kind of has the same thought. Well, how far is anybody really going to go? What's the, in, the distance? You know,
1: yeah, we, so a lot of people are local. A lot of people are very, very local. Um, but we have people that travel like well over an hour. Um, which is always like so mind boggling to me. It puts a little pressure on myself when I realize because sometimes I don't realize how far they are until they tell me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, but this was a 45 minute class. So like you're in the car for like an hour, hour and a half, an hour, hour and a half home. And like, that's a big time commitment. Like I need to make sure that what I'm doing here is making it worth it for you. Um, So yeah, shockingly, people really do travel quite a distance. And I think it's all word of mouth. Um, you know, if people have a good experience and then they're excited about wanting to share it with their friends and then their friends want to come because they see how excited, like, you know, their kids were and that they were able to do all these fun things. And now their kid is excited about eating eggs and they've never eaten eggs before. Like it's all this like big trickle down effect and word of mouth. So people travel a lot longer or a lot further than you would anticipate for sure.
0: I love that you are just, such a wealth of information on so many topics. So if you don't mind sharing like the website, the social media, because I know you have so much more and it's still coming. So
1: how can people follow you? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So our website is www.thefrenchyfarm.com. And then uh, on Instagram, we're at the underscore Frenchy farm. I love it. Well,
0: everybody go follow. She's got tons of amazing stuff already there and more coming. So I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me.